All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. I think the theme today is about kingdom, and uh, I'm sure Bill will be sharing about that a little bit later, but we're going to read a little bit about the Lord and his dominion. So Psalm 148, we're going to read the whole thing here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to that passage in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, going to begin reading there at verse 9. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, not what you should pray. This is how you should pray. And so we have a pattern. Prayer is addressed to our Father in heaven. Three petitions that are about him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three about us. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now there's a footnote in my Bible. A footnote that says, some late manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's the phrase that we want to look at this morning. Every once in a while in our house, when we open up the fridge, you get this whiff of something ugly. I don't know if that ever happens in your house, but you open the fridge and you go, that's not good. <laughs> There's something rotten in this refrigerator, and we need to find out what it is. A number of years ago, Kathy and I had been to visit my parents for Christmas, and 
And um, I guess mom had given us some stuff that we had forgotten about. And I, I, we were, had a station wagon at the time, and I hid it in a compartment in the station wagon. And about this time of year, when, you know, the sun got, it started getting a little stronger, you would open the door to get in the car, and you just, like, is something not right in here, you know? And uh, so we went hunting through this thing, and, and finally I found it, and there, were, there was this package in, in the bottom back compartment in a station wagon, and it was almost moving, and so I did what every man would do. I called my wife to come and deal with it. <laughs> but the reality is stuff in this world rots, and sometimes our entire world is like that. People were murdered last week. Other people were robbed. Some were beaten. Women were raped and children were sexually abused. Some were in our world this last week. There are wars going on. Crime happens in Nippon. And it makes us want to build a fortress and, and tightly close the gates against all evil to put, put locks on our doors and bars on our windows and to put a big fence around our yard and say, everybody stay out, nobody has any business coming in here. Because the reality is that things that are rotten usually don't recover. That thing that was in the fridge, that thing that was in my car needed to go into the garbage. It's not going to get any better. And the reality is that all the laws and rules we make won't stop people from doing evil things no matter how bad the punishment gets. And we have a government that's trying to get tough on crime, but no matter how bad the punishment gets, people will still disobey the laws that we are going to make. So what are we going to do? Well, there was a wedding one time years ago, and the pastor who was marrying the couple got to the point where he asked the bride, you know, will you have this man for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health? And, and the lady said, well, she said, there's really not, probably can't get a whole lot worse, and there's not a whole lot of hope of him getting much better, so how about I just take him as is? And you know, sometimes when you look at our world, you got to take it as is. You know, maybe it can get worse, but the reality is it's probably not going to get a whole lot better, and so we have to take it as is. And so then the question is, how do we live in a world that is decaying, in a world that is rotting, in a world that isn't the way that we want it to be? And so you can live in despair and you can say, oh, woe is me, and, and you can whine and complain. Or we can live in kingdom hope. We can live in a rotten world with a positive attitude. How do we do that? You see, we have a hope that is beyond this world, a heavenly kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. And this doxology, this, this verse of praise for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever gives us hope. It gives us kingdom hope in a rotten world. How does it do that? I think that doxology gives us, first of all, it gives us 
a pattern for worship. And then it gives us a principle for life and service, and it also gives us the right perspective. But let's talk a little bit about a pattern for worship. How come that that little phrase, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, is a footnote in my Bible, and probably in yours as well, if you have a modern language version. There are two schools of thought when it comes to Bible translations, and those schools of thought have fought for many years, and, and they're still fighting, and probably that's not going to happen. But the reality is that we, have, we do not have anymore any of the original writings of the Bible, the ones that the apostles wrote, and, and even the ones that, that the Hebrew scribes wrote way back then. What we have are copies of copies. And one of the things that has happened is over the years, even though people have meticulously tried to make sure that they made accurate copies as they were written out by hand, they would go so far as to even count every letter to make sure that not one single letter or not one little stroke of a pen got missed. What happened was that over the years, as you copy things, often enough stuff, you start to lose stuff. Yesterday we were talking uh, at the table about playing the telephone game. I'm sure you've played that game sometime, right? Somebody starts something at, at one end of a row and you whisper a message in somebody's ear and it gets transmitted along. And by the time it gets to the end of the line, it, it's something completely different from what it started as. Now we have... People have been meticulous about copying the Bible, but the reality is we have some problems. Now, like I said, there are two schools of thought when it comes to, to, to some of the older texts. And, and the one school of thought is that the older something is, the more likely it is to be closer to the original. The older something is, the more likely it is to be correct. <coughs> now, the trouble is that as you get toward the older copies of copies that you get fewer and fewer copies. On the other side, we have many copies of some of the newer copies. And, and so we have people who are saying, well, the many copies outweigh the few older copies that we have over here. And other people are saying, well, no, but the older ones are probably closer to the original ones than the many ones that we have over here. Now, the, the phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, is over here somewhere. It's in the many copies, the many late copies that we have, but most of the original ones back here don't have that phrase. And so that's why it's a footnote in most Bibles, because most modern versions are based on the theory that says that the older copies, even though there are fewer of them, have probably have a tendency to be more accurate, to be closer to the originals than the many copies of the later manuscripts do. However, is it wrong for us to use that phrase then? Not really, because it's a doxology. It's a form of praise, and people, Christians, and, and God followers over the years have used these doxologies 
over the centuries to praise God. Let me show you one from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It's from King David. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord God, our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Sound vaguely familiar? You see, so what we're doing is not is not anything that is, that is different or anything that is unbiblical at all. And people's response to the prayers in the temple is said to have been, blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. And it was so usual for doxologies, for praises of one kind or another to be added by the Jews to prayers that we must consider it very doubtful if the Lord's prayer was ever used in Jewish circles without a doxology. <coughs> so what do we do with it then? Here's some thinking. If it was added by the early church as a response, it was added by holy men of the holy by holy men full of the Holy Spirit. It is a precious end to a precious prayer. It is theologically profound and contextually suitable and the address, our Father who art in heaven, and the doxology, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, bind the seven or six petitions together into one perfect prayer. And so this doxology provides us with a pattern for worship. And worship means that we ascribe to God the glory that is his for who he is and what he is, that we come before God and we worship him. We say, Father, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our devotion. You are worthy of our obedience. And when we say, for yours is the kingdom, we acknowledge that God is king in control and he is ruler of all. It's a pattern for worship. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is, is God has the power to accomplish his goals and his will. When we pray to God, we are not praying to, to some impotent being that, that maybe can or can't do what we ask of him. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. You have the power, Lord, to do anything that you want to do. And to you belongs the glory. He alone is worthy of our worship and praise. Many people today are fascinated by angels. And I had a lady come to me one time and, and ask me, she, she came to visit me in the other church building yet and, uh, and said, um, could you tell me everything that the Bible has to say about angels? And I said, there really isn't isn't that much in the Bible about angels. Well, there is and there isn't, but uh, I said we're not to worship angels, we're not to focus on angels, and, and she said, well, that's kind of too bad. But the reality is we're, we're told <clears throat> that, that the glory belongs to God alone. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, people were worshiping angels, and, and Paul writes, don't let anyone who delights in false humility 
and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up um, with idle notions. Revelation, and in Revelation, the angels appeared to John the apostle as he was writing these things. And in chapter 19, verse 10, we read, the angel said to me, write, and so... Um, middle of the screen at this I fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me do not do it I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God to him he alone to God alone belongs our worship Revelation chapter 22 Verses 8 and 9, John said, I am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Sometimes we worship other things. We worship the secular. We worship the material in times of our, our, our time and resources. I have a tendency sometimes to, to, to worship at the altar of chrome uh, on my motorcycle, you know, like, like I, and I need to, to put some of those things away, and, and God needs to put marks on some of my stuff so I don't, I don't worship it. I, I worship, I need to worship God. To Him belongs the power to him belongs the glory, to him belongs the wisdom. And so it gives me a pattern for worship. But also, it not only gives me a pattern, but it gives me a principle for life and service. If I am to say to God, if I am to say to yours, for yours is the kingdom, if I acknowledge, if I say those words and, and we tag them on to kind of like a magic formula sometimes at the end of our prayer, but if I say to God, for yours, yours is the kingdom, then I need to recognize that he is my sovereign. And he demands my loyalty. When I became a Canadian citizen, I kind of snuck in under my mom and dad. My mom and dad had to go through all the ceremony, and I snuck in under, under my mom and dad, but I was too old to just automatically have it happen to me. And one of the things I had to do in order to become a Canadian citizen, and I'm not sure that that's, that's current anymore, but I had to renounce my Dutch citizenship. I had to promise that if there was ever a war between Holland and Canada, that I would serve Canada, that I would not fight against Canada in any kind of conflict. Because if I am a citizen of Canada, then to Canada belongs my allegiance, and to Canada belongs my service. There's a song. I don't know if you've heard it sometime. But I listened to it again this week. But the song goes like this. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. If I say, for yours is the kingdom, I need to stand and to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek 
to honor his command because he's my sovereign. He has the right to tell me what to do. I owe him my allegiance. I owe him my obedience. I must serve God as one who is under his kingship. I must live my life as one who is energized by his power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. How often do you and I try and operate without that power? You may have heard the story of the man who went out and bought a chainsaw because he heard these things were marvelous in terms of doing all kinds of work and so he took the chainsaw home with him. And, and a, a, a day or so later, he shows back at the shop where he bought the chainsaw, and he says, I want my money back. It doesn't work. And so the shop owner says, well, here, let me take a look at that. And he takes it out back, and he goes, vroom! And the guy says, what's that noise? You see, we try and do this on our own, not recognizing that we have all kinds of power available. And when you and I have that power available, we don't need to sweat it. We need to live our lives energized by his power for his, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and we need to live with God's glory in mind. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 tells us that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so you, I need to ask myself this question. How do the things that I say and do reflect upon the glory of God? How does the way I drive reflect upon the glory of God? How does the way I conduct myself in a restaurant reflect upon the glory of God? How do the things that I say in the post office to my friends and my neighbors reflect upon the glory of God? How do the things that I talk about at work or when we get into a gripe session or whatever, how do the things that I say and do reflect upon the glory of God? Am I glorifying God with everything I have, the way that I play hockey, the way that I the way that I, I conduct myself with unbelievers, the way that I conduct myself when I'm not around Nippuan and nobody knows I'm a pastor. You see, using those words gives me not only a pattern for worship, but it also gives me a principle for life and service. In Isaiah 42 and Psalm 15, we read, these words, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Do the things that I do and say. Bring glory to God in the dark, in the day, inside the four walls of my home, and out in public. And so we have a pattern for worship. We have a principle for life. And I think we also gain a new perspective. The reality is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for how long? Forever. You see, this world, this world in which you and I live is rotten to its core stinks, but it won't last forever, and that's the good news. 
And faith in God's future will help us triumph in the present. Faith in God's future says, look, Lord, I know that this world isn't what you planned it to be. I know that this is not your design for this world. In Revelation, we read these verses here. The angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1 after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This world won't last forever. God has a program. God has a plan in place, and reality says that when we pray and when we use a doxology like this, we join in with the angelic host's praise in heaven. And right now, you and I are in rehearsal time for heaven. Hereafter, the whole prayer will be doxology. Hallowed be the name of our God. His kingdom has come. His will is done. That's what we will pray in heaven. He has forgiven our sins. He has brought temptation to an end. He has delivered us from the evil one. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yes, bad things happen in this world, but we're not alone because when we pray this doxology, when we say the words, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, we know that God is in control. We know that we need not despair. We know that this world is not our home and they can, they can do all kinds of nasty things to me. And I don't need to get in a great big knot about it because this isn't the end of things. The kingdom, the power, and the glory all belong to God. But our task is not only to remember that, but to give it to our Heavenly Father as well. Now, here's something you can take home with you. When you point at God and you say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, where do these three fingers point? Back at me. So if I'm going to use those words... Those three fingers tell me that I have a responsibility. You see, if I say those words, that His is the kingdom and the power and the glory, then I have a responsibility to live that out in my life. And so my question to you is, or my challenge to you this morning is, what are you going to do this week to demonstrate that you are under the kingship of God Almighty. What are you going to do this week to bring Him honor? What are you going to do this week to utilize His power for the sake of His glory? Hmm. Praying this prayer places a responsibility on us to live what you and I just prayed. Our time is gone. We need to pray together and um, then we will be dismissed. So let's do that. Let's stand for prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.